0: Happy Thursday. I hope all is good with you. If you're in the UK, I hope you've been enjoying the sunshine. It's just been a little ray of positivity. It's been beautiful. Although, saying that, I had some work to do on Sunday. I thought, do you know what? I'm going to go around a corner. I'm going to find a little sunny spot in the square and I'm going to read these scripts and it's going to be lovely, be very relaxing. Well, I turned around the corner and it was like I was walking to a festival. I uh, made a swift exit and came home. I was kind of overwhelmed seeing that amount of people congregating all in one place. Um, Yeah, it uh, it wasn't a nice feeling, to be honest. So, look, I know it's going to be a great feeling when we can all get back uh, to be doing that. And uh, let's hope it'll happen soon. But until then, let's, uh, let's all try and stay safe. Anyway over and done. I'm not going to say anything more about that. Um, I will say that this week we went over to Liverpool. Of course we didn't. We just did that remotely. Uh, To sit down and have a brilliant conversation, a really fascinating conversation actually, with Roy, who is an author and a storyteller. His book of short stories called Algorithm Party is available now. it's uh, It's on Rough Trade. So... If you like what you hear, you should definitely go and support him. Um, And we get to know a lot about his life and how he ended up on stage, writing these stories, telling these stories, eventually getting them in print. Now, this isn't the only job that he does, and uh, we will dig deep into that in this episode. Uh, Where are we? Yes, we're at episode 143. Thanks so much for all your responses to last week's episode with Leila Farzad. What an absolute belter of an episode. And also, apologies. I know that a few of you had either started listening to Catherine Rose Morley's episode or were trying to find out where it had gone because it disappeared from Spotify and also the Apple feed and everybody's feed. Anyway, producer Griff has waved his magic wand and that is now back up and running. So if you missed it, do go back and listen to that episode. Uh, What else now? A little uh, offside. No, that's, that's, that's a football analogy. I I don't know anything, nothing about football. Do If you're on social media, then you may have noticed a little announcement on Tuesday of this week. I've been asked by the lovely people at BBC Sounds to be the host of the new Obsessed With Line of Duty podcast. I know, exciting, right? So uh, that is going to be starting on the 21st of March over on BBC Sounds, so do go over and subscribe, and I shall see you each week, and we're going to talk about Season 6 of Line of Duty. We're going to dissect it forensically. I'm going to go through it with a fine-tooth comb with the help of super fans, celebrity guests. And also, I'll be calling on your help, the listener. You'll be getting involved. Uh, I haven't worked it out yet, but you will be. As I have. It's fine. Don't worry. Um, yeah, that's very exciting. So do join me over there. But that's not going to affect the Two Shot Podcast, so do not worry. So let's get on with it. So trigger warning, this episode deals with topics such as grief, death, addiction, suicide, recovery. Um, So look, if you're not in the right headspace to listen, feel free to skip this episode. But what I will say is by the end of it, this is an episode of the podcast that is filled with hope and positivity Uh, And clarity, you know, we do talk about clarity quite a lot and time and distance. So there's real positive vibes being thrown uh, throughout this episode. And I'm really grateful to Roy that he came on because I loved speaking to him. So just for a bit of context, before we get to the episode, very kindly, Roy has uh, recorded a segment of one of his stories. So I'll just give you a little bit of a flavour of what he does and what he's all about. But I will say, if you like what you hear, and you will, do go to Rough Trade and pick up a copy of his book, Algorithm Party. The stories are brutal, funny, raw. They're really cut to the bone. Um, Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Hence why I'm having him on. And I think you're going to love it too. So let's get down to it. This is episode 143 of the Two Shot Podcast with the brilliant storyteller and so much more that is
1: Roy. Enjoy,
0: and I shall see you at the end.
1: Strolling a bit further down the street, I watch furtively as a couple of street drinkers face off. I can't hear what they're praying to each other over the din of the Omen bargain shutters coming down. When I say street drinkers... I don't mean the types who'll just catch some fresh air while smoking a Marlboro and sipping on a £5 bottle of European lager before re-entering the garishly decorated bar to sniff low-grade cocaine and talk over everyone all night. Nah, I'm on about these black cam warriors whose streets are paved with shit. They can be quite contradictory with their tone and manner at times. I recall scrutinising a couple of shoplifters in Breck Road quicksave years ago. Not from any kind of moral standpoint, more of a ghoulish fascination really. The female of the species, who was clearly in charge of this particular law-breaking enterprise, had taken it upon herself to fit as many tubes of Colgate as she could upon her person. Her partner in crime though wasn't doing a very good job of keeping Dixie. When she noticed that he'd started to gouge instead of covering her, she scolded him with a line that just had so much in it. Oh, will you fuck off, babe? Vicious, yet tender. Our gruesome twosome here and now hugging it out, which confirms my suspicion that the whole of town is balanced on a knife edge. Not a fine sabatier or the likes, More one you would encounter in a scummy cafe that's had the same bottles of Sarsen's vinegar on the same wipeable tablecloths since 1988. Uncertain whether it'll cut through yesterday's crusty cobs. Similarly to how I think about whether I'm going to get my head kicked in tonight, you just don't know till it happens. I've started to not
0: ask people how they are at the moment, because inevitably the answer is oh, I'm a bit of a mess, yeah. to be <laughs> yeah. honest, though I'm having a bit of a shit time. So um, I want to say thanks to you, because between you and Rough Trade, uh, a while back you sent me um, a copy of your book, yeah. which I devoured. And it's terrifying and brutal and funny and heartbreaking. And, yeah, I know the stories, I know the stories, but is there a sort of certain themes or nuggets that are taken from any sort of real life? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, obviously, you know why I'm asking Of course, that. yeah. I mean, and anybody, anybody that's read the book will certainly yes. want to know that.
1: Yeah, everybody asks that, especially when I perform, um, mm. because I perform kind of in character and as if they are true. And, um, people are, some people are traumatised after them and, or they'll come to me and say, oh, that, that happened to me too. And I'm, yeah. and I'm like, shit, oh no, like, it, it don't worry, <laughs> it's fiction. Like, but it's only par fiction and par truth, isn't it? Just the story about the one in the pamphlet with, um, where the two brothers look alike and yeah. they want one to go to jail. That, that really happened. I knew, I knew those lads and, um, one was a heroin addict and one was kind of doing well in life. And uh, can you imagine being that lad where he said to him, D- "Do you mind going to prison for ten years?" Like, no, no, know, I,
0: know. I couldn't. You're going to take the rap for yeah. this because yeah. that's what that's what we've decided yeah. as as a family. You're, you're useless I'm...
1: to us, so you go in prison and, and he can stay out.
0: Yeah, yeah, crazy man. Yeah, it's unbelievably crazy but mm. congratulations why Why do you think now it's taken has it, why has it taken has it taken do you feel it's
1: taken a long time to get to print yeah because I didn't have any I, I'm a bit aimless me like the, the stories are right I, I just purposely wrote them for the Violet nights that we would have every two months on a Tuesday night and what would happen mm. is on the Monday night before I'd go Oh shit! I better write something, and that's what I do. And I get up and I perform, and the next day. And after three years, you've got enough for a book. You know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. it was um, started getting out and about, and it was Nina from Rough Trade who just said, "We've got to get these out there. Like, send us some. We'll sort them out, and we'll get them out before Christmas." So, I'm, without Nina, I, I don't know. I don't know what I, I wouldn't have put them out. Probably. Where did it, where did it start? The writing <laughs> and the stories. The writing started, well, the idea of writing started when I used to read football fanzines when I was a teenager,
0: mm.
1: mainly the Everton one when skies are grey, but also I did Liverpool ones, Man United ones. And it was just, they were pieces of writing that I could completely identify with um, because up until then... I thought to be an I thought there was just like this official panel who decide whether you're a writer or not and you gotta write in the Queen's English and with correct language, you know and and when these fellas were just writing about like going to an away match and then going see Bell and Sebastian after it and taking an acid in the I thought, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. Like I can I can <laughs> write about that, yeah. So the idea was there but I didn't actually do it, start doing it till I was about thirty. And even then, right. it was just like I wasn't committed. But well, I properly committed once the Violet Night started, and we used to kind of announce gigs and we'd sell we'd sell a lot of tickets. Well, for that for that particular thing, and and then I'd go and do another thing, and I realised shit, it's me who's selling the tickets. Like I'd, when we do the Violet thing, I just say, oh, that's our crowd. They just buy them anyway. Yeah. And then I realised people like this. People are into this, so I think I was lucky. I knew some people in bands and that, so I went to watch John Cooper Clark in uh, Bridgewater Hall and watched him and his support acts. Like I've have, I've have two thousand people in the Palm of Durand, and I thought, oh, there's something in this uh, writing stuff. So I, I made a call, and it was on like New Year's Day, two thousand and nineteen. To all my mates in bands, anyone who promoted gigs, and I just said, like, give me a gig, give me ten minutes before your band. I'm not asked the bar getting paid and that. Just give me ten minutes, and they did, and they all liked it, and they all asked me back, and someone else asked me back. So that's how it took off initially. And it's quite a ballsy
0: move to get yeah, up in front of no. people. And it's one thing because you what you write like as you speak. Yeah. Like, yeah. right from that, from, that first, from that first story. Um, and it's really refreshing to hear. But it's one thing, writing it down, it's a completely yeah. different thing, getting up in yeah. front of other people. How, was, how did you... Did you take it like a duck to water, or was it a, quite a scary transition?
1: I, yeah, I think... With the violette thing, it was like, I'm playing to a home crowd, so it wasn't that daunting. They, I knew they would back me and support me and that, and then... Mm. Then up, then I did worry about going to places like London and Glasgow and Bristol and that how it would translate because it was so yeah. specifically Liverpool centric. Mm. But um, it didn't, it didn't matter because they just, they just did, did they just thought of their versions of those streets and all that, so it worked exactly, yeah. Worked. yeah. And I learnt a lot of um, watching people like John Cooper Clark and. Um, my girlfriend's a performer as well, and she was just just basic little things. She was just like, don't don't go out there and be nervous and apologise for being nervous and all that. Fucking get out there, freak them out for ten minutes, and just fuck off and just leave them thinking, <laughs> who was that? Who's that? What was yeah, that? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So it did.
0: <laughs> was that why there was, there was a, d- a decision to sort of create Roy as a character to? that would
1: translate those stories. Yeah, yeah. I just thought I can kind of hide behind him. I can hide behind him, cos, yeah. 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 It sounds mad, doesn't it? I don't know I don't know about you, and but for people like actors, singers, poets, whatever, a lot of them are shy. But then there they are in front of thousands of people on a stage, on yeah. a screen. It, it kind of doesn't make sense, but, but they're at home But then. in a
0: way, even if you're looking at someone... Like John Cooper Clark, even though they're going on stage as, quote-unquote, them, yeah.
1: they're not. There's, yeah.
0: It's a heightened persona, yeah. Yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. Because it is, it is a performance.
1: Yeah, yeah I've, I've, I've got away with stuff on stage, like, that, you know, if I was just performing as me, someone would knock me out, like, someone would want to chin me, you know what I mean? They just mm. laugh, they just laugh when I, when I say it or do it, they just yeah. I think it's part of the thing, which it is.
0: Well, it is. It's yeah, part of the performance, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. But I suppose that is a nice safety blanket for you, especially when you were first
1: starting to go on stage. Yeah, yeah it was. Totally. Well, when I listen back now to some of my early recordings, we used to just put a USB thing in the recording desk, and uh, mm. you can... I can hear my own breath, nervous, and I'm kind of, like, going, right, OK, eh... Uh, but... Yeah, so I was really nervous in the beginning, even though I've just said to you I wasn't. I was, but like anything, the more you do it, the easier yeah. it becomes, and you learn the little tricks of the trade then, don't you? But also, I suppose back in those early days, you're not just
0: learning how to perform the stories. You've got to take into account breathing, yeah. and it's, like a whole, yeah, yeah. it's a whole different ballpark, mm,
1: isn't it? Definitely, man, yeah.
0: But then that's like you say, the more times you get up on stage... The not necessarily easy it becomes because the energy's still got to be there, and the, there's always I even when I, I don't do loads of theater, but whenever I do, there's always that bubble of sort of nervous excitement oh, yeah. in the pit of your stomach. and I think you need that. Yeah. And if you did, I think if you didn't have that, well, you might as well just pack it in. I
1: agree, yeah. I get that about, and I'm not performing in front of any big crowds, really, a couple of hundred people, but. About five minutes before I'm due on, I'm just elsewhere. You know, I yeah. could be talking to someone in the room, but my, my brain's just somewhere else. And I've got that. Oh fuck, shit! Is there any way I can pull out of this? I get, I get all that. But then, t- t- twenty seconds of being up there, that, that all fades away. It just washes yeah. away, doesn't it? Yeah.
0: And you could be anywhere, yeah. but you're not. You're, you're cemented, yeah. you're grounded in that yeah. moment. Yeah, no, it's a real buzz, it's a real thing. Did you did you start to get a real flavour for it and a real taste?
1: Yeah, it was. I was lucky because it was like a ready-made audience with my mates who were in bands, so I got to support, like, Michael Head quite a lot. Uh, I supported the firm way, and um, a couple of mates were promoters, so they put me on with established acts. So I was guaranteed to perform to a couple of hundred people, and, an, you know... I don't know whether this sounds cocky or anything, but I knew I was good, and I knew they'd like mm. it. Like we made John, like he just said, he, "If you're doing it, don't, don't, don't like. Oh, this is a bit shit. This one, or I haven't really. F-. Don't do that. You know, be good. That's the whole point. Be good, at it. Like, yeah, because right, they eh? want you to yeah. be good. Yeah, it's like
0: whenever I talk to um, sort of students or younger actors about like auditioning and going into the room. It's always like the same, you know, don't go in like apologizing. Yeah, totally. They, they, they want you to be good. Yeah. They want to give yeah. you the job, you know, so there's parallels,
1: you know. It's like a Jedi mind trick, innit? Like, if you go up and you're all bumbling and going, oh, well, you know, I haven't really finished this one and I'm not sure whether it, they're, they're going to buy into that. It's shit. If you just go yeah. up and go, I've written one of the greatest stories I've ever written and you're fucking lucky to be here. it, <laughs> they're having it. That's <laughs> you know take yeah. it on board. Yeah.
0: Exactly, yeah. Yeah. But they'll you know, audiences feed off that. Yeah. And they'll feed off uh, an apology and already yeah. their expectations again. Yeah, to go, I agree, mate, yeah. Yeah. Let's um let's go back then and let's talk
1: about growing up. Yeah. So where whereabouts in Liverpool? So place called Walton, kind of Walton Kirkdale, so right near where Everton's ground is, Goodison. We were in the next street there. Right. And I stayed in that street for 25 years um in about four or five different houses like fucking it's was one of them you know the kink song Autumn Almanac there's a line <laughs> in it this is my street and I'm never gonna leave it that that's how I felt like just erm um, people would probably say it's rough now but it's not rough when it's all you know well exactly it, it, yeah it just, I just I liked growing up around there and I'm an Evertonian, I loved living near the ground and all my mates from school lived around there. There was lots of fields and there was loads of stuff to do, man. And, um, yeah, I I liked Walton. I'm glad... I'm glad I grew up there. I couldn't live there now because, like, what tended... Like, when I grew up, the 80s, 90s, Walton was just, like, everyone was pretty much the same. You -hmm. know, if you were, like... If you were gay... Or of colour, or you were into writing, or something, you'd just be seeing it. I used to get seen as a bit of an oddball, but I kind of got away with it because I, I could play football. But it was right. always like, my me, me mates who I play football with, they'd always like buzz off me. He's still listening to them fucking mad bands and that, or he's still wearing those daft shoes and that, you know what I mean? They just seen like any kind of difference or non conformity as, oh, it's fucking odd. It's weird, just leave it yeah. to it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, that happens, doesn't it? Yeah. I remember yeah. when I was very serious about acting. Oh he was the odd one. Yeah. You know. So it's just sometimes it's just people's ignorance and also yeah. they're scared. That, it's you know, fear, isn't it? People are, people are scared of a bit of a bit yeah. of difference, aren't they? Yeah, it's fear. But because but because you were Andy at kicking a ball yeah. about, you were let into it, that sort Yeah.
1: Level. Well I, I I do often think like I'm born in September, so I was always one of the oldest in my year. And when you're Mm. a kid, like, I was more physically advanced because remember the kids in your year who were born in September, they were always massive, weren't they? So I was physically advanced, I could play football. But without that, I was like a a lanky, ginger kid with spots and bad teeth. I was just prime for bullying. I would have been so... The football team and being born in September probably saved me a lot of bother yeah it probably saved me a lot of bother down there and like in our street uh, which is a street called Newby Street which was like immortalized in a michael head song um every every family in that street either had had an addict in that house or was looking after the the children of an addict it was just it was just rife just rife, no, there was no one in that street who escaped the consequences of addiction. When I look back now, I didn't know at the time, and it wasn't obvious, just thought it's everyone did it, but when I look back now, just it's a generational thing, and um, it was it was just hard for me to escape. I mean, people could listen and go, why didn't you just fuck off? Why didn't you just move? i just get trapped by the comfort of it all, just yeah. the comfort of... And it's a safety yeah. in what you know. Yeah, yeah, of course. sh like, shit is comfortable in it, like.
0: <laughs> well, in a way, it's like, you know, if you you don't want to move out of that cocoon, yeah. that sort of safety yeah. bubble, even if it is not, you yeah. know, even if it is unhealthy. The very thing... Even though that, you, you don't know that at the time.
1: Yeah, I, I wanted to. I, I often say, oh, I need to get out of here. The very thing I wanted was was the very thing that was the most frightening. So mm. I ended up staying 25 years In. In the house with my mum and dad, they divorced. We moved over the road, me and my mum, my brother. Then my mum remarried and moved. I moved up to the top of the street in a flat on my own and that's when everything just went pear-shaped Then everything just went a bit pear-shaped and kind of, and then it went even more pear-shaped because I went off the rails on the ale. and my dad comes back and moves into the street and into the house we grew up in and I end up moving back with him. It's fucking bizarre. With him? Yeah. Just bizarre, like just two two pissheads just sitting in this three bedroom house, but there's only furniture in one room. It's like, oh fucking hell, this
0: is this why? Is, why did it all go so wrong so quickly, or sort of, uh, you know, to use your phrase, pear-shaped? Yeah.
1: Well, it's it was as mad as this sounds, suddenly but gradually, right? Like, um, I think the starting point for me, this is all with hindsight. Because, you you know, looking back, it's easy to see. But when I was 12, um, my uncle passed away. My uncle, it's all linked in now, this this is a yeah, fucking... He was 12, I was 12, and my uncle was my mum's brother. He was like my dad, really, because my dad was absent. He was like my dad. <clears throat> and he, he was one of the only ones in our family who wasn't an addict or an alcoholic. Right. And the irony of it was he was killed by one. So it was a drunk driver when I was 12. And um, oh. I remember my mum coming up to my room and she she said, uh, it's like a Sunday morning. She said, oh, PJ, wake up, I need to talk to you. And the and the last time she said something like that, the house had been burgled and my bike had been right. robbed. So I just went, oh, fucking hell, Mum, not my bike again. And she went, no, no, it's your Uncle Gary. And she told me and all that. And... Uh, that was the first time I experienced grief Be- because, up until then, like bereavement and death was something I only see on the telly, or you hear about some lad two years above you in school whose mum died, and you ne- I never heard of anything directly and certainly never experienced it. So, as a 12 year old, I just couldn't compute it at all. I couldn't, just couldn't. Yeah, I'd never experienced it and I'd kind of like think, well, he he won't be dead, will he? He'll pick me up for the match next week and then Mm. not having that kind of... Because he was the one who'd get me a season ticket and I'd stay in his at the weekend. He provided like a structure and that for me and I think it started to go a bit pear-shaped there. Not like... I don't think it was a conscious decision for me to go, ah, well, fuck that, my dad's not here. Daddy's dead. I might as well just, it wasn't that, but it just started veering off the path, really.
0: Do you think it was because, I mean, grief's hard to process at any mm. age, but maybe because you were so yeah. young, you couldn't process the grief, yeah. so it sort of manifested in its its way into something else. Yeah,
1: yeah, and look, where, so that happened in like the summer of 92, mm. and um, in the winter of 92, in December, so I'd... Just turned 12 then. Um, I, I attempted suicide, 12 years old. I like, thinking, looking back, it, really? it wasn't really a serious attempt, but I, I took an overdose and it, it could have worked, you know what I mean? Yeah, so that's, that's how, like, how messed up my brain was and that. And, and then, uh just uh, then, then me... My dad actually just disappeared then out of our... He was always he was absent, but we knew where he was. We knew where he lived mm. and we'd see him on the road and all that. And then uh just disappeared out of our lives for four years. Just, like, didn't... And then, ironically, like, so during that time, I'd be, like, 13 to 17 and a, and a letter came. I think he wrote to my mum first and said, don't tell the kids what I live... I live down south and I'm just getting my act together and I'll contact them when I'm on my feet. Of course, my mum told me. And I'd spent years saying to my mum, like, when I see him, I'm going to kick his head in. I'll be old enough to fucking punch his head in and that. And, and of course, that didn't happen. The first, when my mum told me dad, I just went, I want to speak to my dad. You know what I mean? And I rang him and there was none, there was none of that. I'm going to fill you in. It was, dad, I need to see you. And then... I went down to see him and um, what's the first thing we do? Dad and lad haven't seen each other. He's gone from a boy to a man. There's no conversation about where you've been for four years or anything. It's just, should we go to the pub? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds. Because that's what I was into then. And it was just this big mass of white elephants. We'd just get pissed. And I'd be like going in the bog, looking in the mirror in the pub down south and just thinking, go out and ask him where he's been. Yeah. Go out and ask him, and i go out, and my dad shows you another bevy? And i go, yeah, go on then. it just never gets mentioned. Yeah,
0: and also, <laughs> even if you'd have been able to have asked him, would he have answered truthfully? Because, yeah. you know, there's, there's there's certain men, and I'm only saying that because yeah. I'm northern, but there's certain yeah. northern men of a certain age, of a certain generation, and the first thing is, yeah. we won't talk about feelings, we won't talk yeah. about our emotions, but we will, we will go down the path. Absolutely. Pub and... Just sort of shoot the shit, and yeah. everything's very surface- yeah. surface level conversation yeah. we're not going to go anywhere
1: avoidance it was that was a theme of of my life that I, that my dad passed down to me avoid just avoid anything just avoid reality, just avoid reality, and I think that's where I differed from a lot of my mates who drank and took drugs they weren't doing it to avoid anything they were doing it to for What most people do it for to seek pleasure to make mm. a good time a little bit better, whereas I was doing it to just avoid the pain of I know it's a bit woe is me, like but the pain of being me because I didn't like myself. So, right. I, when I, when I, you could sit me in a room with five lads, loads of powder on the table, loads of cans, and they're having a buzz, them, and I'm not, I'm just like. I need to do this till my brain shuts up so, till I, and then I go, you know, that's dangerous, fucking blacking out and all that crap. Like, So <laughs> I figured out after a few years, there's always consequences for me with this shit. Right. My, my mates here are kind of like getting married off and keeping, holding jobs down and not staying in bed for four days afterwards. I'm, on. I'm, a, I'm a bit different to these and it was nothing to do with amounts or anything. You know, they, they because of the way they were, they held jobs down, which meant they had more money, which meant they could take more drugs. It wasn't a case of I was a drug monster or anything. It was just, when I did do it, the effect it was having on me, it, it was never so good. it was the consequences? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The consequences for me, there was none for them. And that was confusing for me around the time. But also, like, this where I mentioned about my uncle, like, passing away, I think mm. I grew up, like, just angry, just internally angry at stuff and mistrustful, particularly of of men who I um, should see as, like, role models or anything, but I'd said... Because that, of their absence. Yeah, yeah, so it yeah. was kind of, like, in me. But I'd always said again to my mum, like I'd said about my dad, I'd said to my mum, um, you know, that fella who killed our Gary, wait till I get my hands on him. And um, I've only been thinking about this around the past year and around the concept of um, forgiveness. And that, like, my my kind of version of it isn't about forgiving the person. Even though I understand now that guy had drink and drug problems and he did not go out that morning and plan to kill my uncle. I know that. I know no. that. Um, and I don't want to kill him now or anything like that, but... Forgiveness for me is just giving up the hope that the past could have been different. It's kind of like full acceptance. So, it's, so we have a kind of mantra in our family that my mum, my mum has drilled into us, like that you have a choice about do you turn your pain into something more purposeful, and it and it's around accepting like Gary's dead, and that's that. He can't come back. We're not. We're not. Glad he died, but a lot of good stuff has come out of it. A lot of good stuff. So I mean, that's where my mum started to um, get into the drug and alcohol field, no recovery, helping people. She's managed rehab. She's opened up dry bars, and it's all as a result of that. So I've got her um, when my mum remarried, she had another son. So we I've got an autistic brother. And his autism means, like, he's got no filter at all. So he said to my mum not long ago, he went, Hey, mum. And she's like, what's He went, I'm glad Uncle Gary died, you know. And my mum was like, what? And he went, well, think about it. You wouldn't have managed that rehab. PJ wouldn't have got sober. And you just wouldn't be out there helping all these people now. And he, he's right, isn't he? So <laughs> look at the knock-on yeah, attacks that that's had. He, yeah. he, he misworded it, like, but, yeah, it's like you can't change these things that have happened, but you can change how you respond to it. And my response for a long time was bitterness and resentment and revenge and stuff like that. And, um, but it's so difficult, especially yeah. at such a young
0: age, yeah. to even contemplate acceptance Yuck, you know, yeah, in, in such a dark yeah. situation. Yeah and then and everything you know I know it's such a cliche but everything does take a bit of time yeah, doesn't it yeah
1: it does yeah i could never have done it then and and i probably wouldn't have ever done it if i'd have continued to drink so it was like the clarity of not of not drinking really over the years to come to understand like i don't hold that or any grudges to that man really and to me it's a shame like i've been in cars when people have been behind the wheel drunk you know what I mean? So I'm I'm no fucking better or worse than him. Just um I've thought about like trying to find the guy, you know what I mean, and sitting and but oh, I just think what's the point really? I mean me I think my mum's of the same train of thought as me, but my nan, Gary's mum, she she's not she's not there, she's like eighty odd and she's just like, No, this man killed my only son. And you can understand that of course. Absolutely,
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah, and at such an age and a mindset, yeah,
1: you
0: know, yeah, she's not going to turn it know, around. Teaching an old dog new tricks, of course, and that, of so course. yeah. But I suppose you know, clarity, getting clarity, is uh, is a thing of wonder oh, because man. you need that time and space, yeah. and you back away from it. You really
1: can see much more clearly. Yeah, the, yeah, the, it, I can see the difference now between um, when I drank, how distorted my thoughts were. And now, to how much kind of in tune with reality they are, mm. just very simple a, a very simple thing could happen, and straight away my brain w- would make it mean something else. So, um, I'll give you an example from when a when a this isn't my example; it's sort of a witness, but it made me think about myself. Um, when I worked in a rehab, um, we were talking about like behavioural triggers so not not triggers like i've just watched someone scoring drugs on the corner or everyone's having a bevy on coronation street not them just something someone says or does that it's like an emotional knife sticking in you and um mm. so this guy i knew he, he'd been in the army and uh after the army he'd been on the doors and all that and then he'd been been in jail and all that and he'd come out and he, he had nothing you know what i mean so he went. He was homeless like, and he went back to his, his mum's and his mum had kind of remarried and he's nearly 40 and she's just like, look son, I can't have you here. You know what I mean? And, and he ended up in, staying in the shed. He ended up like living in the shed and then years later he come into this rehab that I worked at and I knew him and he'd had some years in sobriety before but he really like fell low down and he... This one time, we used to get, like, a donation, a food donation. And the lads in the house, I think this guy was just either in the shower or having a rest in his room, and he come in with the booty donation, and he went, yeah, mate, yeah, lad, yeah, have some of it. And he forgot, he forgot to shout him. He just forgot that's all it was, an innocent thing, mm-hmm. like... But because he's got, like, something about just being pushed out and... Ignored and tolerated, and being a nuisance, and it's all like his root belief that he's a waste of space and all that. But this, so that was taken personally, yeah, not being off of the butt, he got taken personally. I and mean, he didn't do anything about it because, as you know, like people in early recovery, the, the communication skills and interpersonal skills aren't great. But the next day in group therapy, it was a really good session, and just at the end, kind of like. Just before we wrap up, any anyone just want to leave anything in the room? And he just went, Yeah, I fucking do. And we were like, oh shit, and he went, I wanna know why everyone in here hates me. And we were like I said, Well, me personally, I don't, mate. And everyone else just went, Oh, neither do we, like, where's this come from? And he talked about the previous night with the what he did not so it was nothing to do with the butty, you know what I mean? That was just yeah, the of course. the trigger event that Tap right into him hating himself and no one liking him. And, and like, I went in the office later on and we were talking about it as a team. And I was like, I've done that. I've done that kind of thing for years where I just misread the situation. My thoughts are distorted and I just go somewhere dark. And then, like, when I'd go there and I'd have that, I have that my root belief was that I'm an inconvenience. So when things like that would happen, my fucking healthy mind would go, see, you were right. Mm. And and when when I feel like that, I just go, I'm going, I'm going the offy, I'm going the offy. It was just such a simple thing, like the clarity that that incident gave me, and the fact that I'd not been drinking for years. I just thought, yeah. And I watched that happen, like day in day out, a lot of the time. People are triggered by. Things in, people in, say. In those
0: situations, you know, it's never about the body. No, man, no way. It's never about
1: no the way. body. No way. We're, we're at now. We have a phrase with the lads who live there and we just say, that thing you think you're pissed off about, that's not it. That's not it. <laughs> yeah. That's just brought it to the surface, but that's not it. And sometimes people are like, oh, don't be doing all that shit on me, all that. I don't want to go deep and that's nothing to do with that. It was about a cup and I'm not fucking having it <laughs> all that. But uh, you dig a bit deeper, there's always something else there. Yeah, I mean,
0: you see that. I remember, you know, seeing a, a fight in a pub in Blackpool when I was very young. And when you see things from from a distance, you can really see what's going yeah. on. Now, this fight was triggered... By it was by a it was by something stupid as a look mm. you know what I mean yeah, a, yeah. a poor innocent guy mm. was was going to get battered it wasn't about that yeah. it wasn't about the look he this this poor fucker was the scapegoat yeah yeah but obviously yeah. no one no one can dig a little deeper in that Not situation in the pool. No, but no. but no it's never about yeah the yeah. No. yeah um when was the point for you personally when you just thought right. I, uh, enough is enough, I've got to stop this mm-hmm. now. Or, or was did something... Because, you know, they always... I don't know if it's completely cliche, but they always say that you are you go so low, yeah. you can't go any lower, yeah. and that's when it, it hits you.
1: Yeah, it's like... So I had the external and the internal low, because a lot of people I know, they've had emotional bottoms, but they've still had great jobs and great houses and families, but they're just mentally unwell, Um Mine, I, I didn't have a pot of pissing. Like I was just, I know what I was becoming, you know what I mean? I was becoming a down and out at the age of 26, but there was lots of things that had happened that should've, they should've made me kind of wake up, but just, I operated on a, on a basis of just short term gain all the time, just short term mm-hmm. gain. I'm not doing anything that I've got a sticker or anything that won't give me rewards instantly. So living my life like z- that. So, z- so zero commitment. Yeah, I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't interested in anything. Try um, to, you know. Anyone who knows me before the age of twenty six will go. Or I'm presuming he had, he'll say, I mean, he was all right. Deep down, he was a nice lad. But what a fuck up! What a letdown, What a liar! What a what a what a tit! What a waste! You know what I mean? I think that's what most people would say. But most people in my life now don't know me then. So when I kind of talk like this, they're just like, I can't imagine you like that. (laughs) And I'm like, look at you, man. Look at you. But also, I'm like, when I do things like this, this is where the conversation always goes. It's fair enough. I I am dead reluctant, not to talk about it, but to be that um, fucking... That, you know, no one likes a reformed any and do, do You know what I mean? No, not but, at all.
0: But you know what this podcast is of all about—digging yeah. a little deeper yeah. with people. Yeah, but do you? And we don't have to go down any avenue. Oh no, I'm, don't want I'm it, comfortable you know with that. it. I'm comfortable. Do you? Do you oh, I know you are. But do you look back and see? Do you feel that that's a different person? Do you look back and you go, "Does feel? I like don't really recognize. I don't recognize who that was. Yeah, it
1: does feel like that, man." It does feel like that, Um, yeah. Even though I know it was me, Mm. there's a complete separation from that person, from me, from the age of 26 and under. It's like... Yeah. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't dream of behaving like that now. I just wouldn't dream of it. And there's not even the excuse of, oh, I was drunk, because that wasn't it a lot of the time. My issue wasn't drink. My issue was not drink. Like, my answer was drink. My issue was how I was operating in the world. And right, how that's really interesting. And how just treating people poorly, just really poorly, just being unreliable and um, unaccountable, really. He could never get me to hold my hands up and say, you know, oh, i fucked up there, I'm really sorry, and how do I put this right? It just wasn't him. I was not doing it because of this. Because I'd not been taught... My mum did the best, man. My mum did the best. My mum was having to go to night school and kind of work here and there to bring the two of us up. And there was no one. I mean, there's probably loads of people who never got taught and didn't behave like me. So that's not even an excuse. But just not having that uh, role model, leader type thing in my life, I just made it up as I went along. And I'd often like, am mm. I getting asked in school? think we were in seniors, maybe like 12 or so in second year. What are you looking forward to about being an adult? And all the people wrote, uh, oh, going to nightclubs and um, having a family. And, and I wrote, I'm not, because you've got to pay bills and be responsible and all that. So there was a big clue. There was a big clue for me at the age of 12 that life yeah. life was ter- it terrified me it absolutely terrified me as a youngster and I always had a fear. I don't even, not really explored this, but I always had a fear of being homeless. Always. Really? Yeah, yeah, just had this. And it wasn't, you know, my mum was, me mum qualified as a social worker and that when I was about 12. We were able to buy a car and go on holidays and stuff, but I still had this. Fucking hell, like, when's someone going to give me the handbook for life. When's someone yeah. going to give me it? Because he's definitely got one. She's She's got two. <sighs> fucking hell. And, you know, just that panic. So being like that before I'd ever touched drinking drugs and having that constant, like, pounding in my chest mm. to having a fucking a pint of lager in a pub when I was 13 because I could get saved and, uh, and just going... I'm kind of like I'm spicing it up, romanticising it here, but I just went, oh, fucking hell, that's lovely, that. That thing stopped in my chest. Right. My head slowed down. This is fucking magic, this. <laughs> yes. So it's no surprise I, I got into that. I thought, well, I'll just right. do it Now I know I can get saved in here. I'll come back here, and, I'll do it. and that's where it kind of continued. My relationship with it. it was never healthy. It was always unnatural. Well of course, I yeah. mean it's
0: I mean, even though it it blocks out that 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 um the tightening of that chest yeah. and that worry for for yeah. for a for a small amount of time, it's only gonna exacerbate the yeah, situation totally. in the long term, innit? It
1: was it gave me real um, ease, a sense of ease and comfort. So without a drink I could be in company going Oh, who am I gonna talk to? What shall I say? What if that girl doesn't like me? Shit, where shall I put my hands? Oh, my God, where am I going to stand? You give me a couple of pints, I don't give a fuck. Who laughs at me joke or where I stand or if he's even noticing me. So all mm-hmm. the ale for a bit was a was a solution. And then, like you say, it, it became a big part of the problem. And and gives you that, that false sense of confidence. Yeah, yeah no, I, I must have... There's been times I look back now, I, I accept them now, I can't change, but I'll you know, just cringe like drunken behaviour, me thinking I'm the life and soul of the party, but in reality, people are just like, who's this knobhead? Who invited him? Like, well, it's, it's that
0: thing, you know, back in the days when we were allowed to mingle and go to yeah. parties, if when drink's involved, if people aren't on the same level, mm. it's, you really see it with a magnifying glass. Yeah, glance. yeah. And you can see that person... Say if you're not drinking that night... Or your your designated driver, yeah. and you see other people get drunk, and it's it's you feel it. It's embarrassing, tuned it's in, yeah. ugly because you're not on that mm. level together, and it's just like you just want to back away and go yeah. fucking hell. Yeah, is that do I? Is that how I sort yeah, of? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. cringy. I'm really embarrassed about that. <laughs> well, yeah, but you really see it with such clarity. Oh don't god, you? yeah,
1: and you know, like no one's going to remember or anything. Like, yeah, I, uh, I uh, yeah, I, 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 I still. I, like, my, my girlfriend drinks in my company, but and it's not a problem. People, I go to the pub, I still go everywhere. What I don't want to be around is Al-Hee's who drink, because they're a fucking nuisance. <laughs> your, your regular folk who just drink socially, I have no issue with spending hours mm. in the pub with them. But it's when people's, and I was one of these, just something just switches. That, that behaviour will change after a couple of pints. If you could stop me at five pints... I'd be the most charming, sociable fella in that pub, popular, but I ain't. I ain't stopping. I've got no off switch, you know. Once I start, I've got no off switch. And then,
0: but there's that certain lights, like you said, that four or five lights, yeah. and then it's just one sip or one drink away from the darkness. Yeah, yeah, totally. And you, you, you do see yeah. it in people, don't yeah. you? you? Just go, yeah. really dark, yeah, yeah. And that's and that's scary. I think that I find that scary to be around sometimes. It is, it is. <laughs> not that I'm a, a, yeah. luckily not around yeah. lots of those yeah. people. Yeah,
1: I've I've had conversations with me mates who've remained me mates from then right through till now. Around the time I got sober, um, part of me getting sober was going back and talking to these people, and one saying sorry, and two saying that I'll do a fix it like and. Um, having a frank conversation with them, you know, the stuff I'd avoided for years, and um, mm. just saying to them, you know, I'm really sorry for being an idiot and the person who you'd have to babysit on nights out. And I, honestly, there's a few of my mates who, who would have just been completely freaked out because I'd just knocked at the door. My first year of not having a drink... I, I was I went on a mission and I was just knocking at people's doors, going in their house and crying. And just just crying with relief and saying to them, You're a fucking good mate. And I treated you like shit. And I'm sorry, man. I'm, what do I have to do? And uh, most of them were just completely freaked out. Oh mate, <laughs> like oh fucking PJs in my house crying like, what's going on here? But it was important for me, and some of them wanted to talk, and some of them didn't, like one of my mates. I done it to him and uh, he just went, Oh no, lad, you know, don't be talking all that shit. He said, I just prefer you now to then. It's like fair, right, fair so you,
0: but even though you were taking responsibility yeah. for for your actions, yeah. sometimes they just didn't want to. Yeah, yeah, that was fair. That's yeah. I mean, fair. That's fair, and it's understandable, and every human being is different when emotions are involved and in honesty.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was that that first year. I think I cried a lot. I cried a lot and not through sadness or anger or anything. I think it must just be, like, for somebody like me who's wired differently where alcohol's concerned, I went to that first pub for my first pint when I was 13. I didn't stop drinking until I was uh, 26. So when I stopped, it was like... ..my emotions were still 13... Right. And, and I mean, and I just felt really bizarre because I'm this 20s. Must have been a, there must have been a sense of relief. There was, though, mate, well. there was. I was just crying sometimes through relief. I'd cry, I lived with my mate, and I'd cry at an advert, an advert of, like, um you Know just a cheesy happy advert, some people having fun or something. I just go, Oh, fucking hell, oh, fun <laughs> isn't fun great, <laughs> just, just weird stuff like that, really bizarre stuff. And also, it's odd, sorry, it's odd that, that little things like
0: that that just trigger something in you. Yeah, and I'm sure people have, you know, certainly in the past year, been crying for all sorts of stupid oh, different I know. reasons.
1: I know, something just, um, it, I was like unblocked. You know what I mean that's what it felt like I was unblocked, and I didn't try and resist it because I knew at that point all these things I'm trying to hide about myself kind of that I, I was emotional I was an emotional person and I, I was mm. sensitive and I was quite shy and that don't hide them it's it's me it's who i am it's it's part of me the prop one of the the reason I'm drinking like that is because I'm uncomfortable in my own skin because I can't accept who I am because I want to impress other people and there it was just like, a, just real simple lessons that like, this happiness or peace, whatever it was I've been looking for In and I, I see a lot of people doing it now and externally going to look, everybody's different, aren't they? And they'll find yeah. it in other ways and some people have kind of, spiritual practices or, you know, yoga or religion or whatever. But I found, like, I just stopped looking and started to be kind of authentic, true to myself. And the happiness was a byproduct of it. And I went, fucking hell, that thing I've been looking for, for years, it's already in me. And I've been blocking it by the way I've been behaving. The minute I start to lie or let people down or get resentful... The happiness is blocked off. You know what I mean? Fucking, that was that just now. Like the pennies started to drop. Yeah, the pennies were dropping. They still are actually. I think I don't
0: think that ever stops though. Does no, it?
1: I don't. I don't I, think I, I,
0: so. I find that all the time. Yeah, especially you're talking about you know being given a life handbook before. Mm. i at times I felt like that when I became a dad. Yeah, and it's Bloody like, hell. Yeah, you, you, it's like you constantly look at other parents and you go well they've got it sorted yeah, well, yeah. their baby isn't crying or they look yeah, really man. at peace and what, what i don't think what I, am i doing wrong type thing what am i doing yeah. wrong and it's like yeah. you just have to do to be there and yeah. obviously try and do the best that you can do yeah no one's the best no no there is no but you the best here, that you it? can do yeah no? no no and also i was thinking you weren't you had all that still all those emotions as a child but you weren't really given a chance of going the normal route of growing up at, at those really significant moments of 12, 13, mm-hmm. 14, and you're, you know, you're changing, your body's changing, because yeah. it was completely overshadowed mm-hmm. with, with booze. Yeah. So there was a false, that false sense of confidence yeah. that wasn't a child. No, I never
1: got to know myself, did I? The yeah. real version no. of me. So, the, no. so that's what it felt like at 26. I was like... I, I don't know whether I've changed or actually I've. it's This is a new me, or I've, it's the real me, or whatever it was. But I've just slowly, started to feel comfortable, like walking mm. in like doing this now, me and you. If, yeah. if if you'd have asked me for some bizarre reason to do this when I was drinking, oh man, you'd just well I'd be probably be lying to you now or exaggerating or I probably wouldn't have turned up. You know what I mean? Just just something like that, just all yeah. through. Like at the root of it all, and I see this in work with, with lads who you know they might relapse, it there's something more complex than this, but it's all like just poor self care, lack of respect for themselves. And I just make decisions that to someone else they could just say, well he can't care about himself if he's doing that. You know what I mean? It seems so obvious, mm. but when you just mm. when you're just trapped in it, like I that thing I talked about before, having this real deep rooted be- belief that I'm a fucking inconvenience to people, I'm I'm a nuisance, I'm all that. So I, I have that without really knowing it, but it drives me life, it drives me life. So I found when I got opportunities, I just I just wrecked them, I just wrecked them because of that, because I'd have this nagging thing in my head going, you're not going to do it anyway you're not going to be any good or, or wait. So you might as well yeah. just be completely yeah. self-destructive. Yeah, wait till the if yeah. g- that would happen. Try so I for Everton when I was 14. Signed, scouted by Everton, fucking doing well. Just no belief, no belief whatsoever. I know everybody says this like, but I genuinely think at 14 with the right head on my shoulders and the right guidance, I could have I made a career as a footballer. Maybe not Premier League, mm. but I, I think I could have. Just sacked that. And then, like, relationships. There's probably a couple of, couple of people out there or groups of people thinking, remember him? He was all right, him. What happened to him? He just disappeared. Because I'd meet new people, and but then I'd have this thing of, wait till they get to know what I'm really like. And I'd just sack them and move on to the next crew. Like a social chameleon, just moving yeah. around and acting different with all different firms and not really... No Knowing who I was when I ultimately got home on my own, and would sit and think, Fuck, "What's going on here?" Which one I'd be be talking like I'm I'm some kind of like master criminal or some kind of football hooligan or some sensitive artist, and, and none of them none of them were me. <laughs> they just suited me for that previous. What well, it basically like? I'll be what you want me to be in that specific crowd of people. Yeah, if there's something yeah. in it for me. Back then, it was, and, and the thing. So there was sometimes things in it, some money, some drugs or whatever, but usually it was just someone's acceptance. Just mm. someone's acceptance. And probably, don't know, man, a, a, a psych, psycho, psychologist, psychoanalyst could, could have a field day with me because probably, like, you know, on school parents' days or football presentations, when I'm looking and going, why isn't my dad here? How come everyone else's dad is here and mine isn't... And, can, and probably coming to a conclusion as a fucking six-year-old, there must be something wrong with me. There must be... Like an unconscious thing, there must be something mm. wrong with me. It yeah. makes sense, the way I grew up thinking it, you know. What's up with me? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Just piecing all those dots up. But it's all good. It's all good now because I've managed to piece a lot of stuff together and the driver's... Of me life and and about all that you're a dickhead and you're a no and all that they're not like that anymore but you were for a long time like mm. yeah I can't, now I want to touch on
0: on your work and we'll go yeah. we'll, 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 I want to go full circle and come back to the writing in a minute because I know a little bit about what you do but you'll have to explain it to me a bit more because it's not. It's not a. Re- it's not a reco- uh, so-called sort of recovery house, is it? What?
1: Yeah. Well, oh, it is basically. It is. It is. It's not. It is. It's not a rehab. It isn't. A That's rehab. right. Sorry, yeah. it's not yeah. a rehab. Scandily. Right. Not in the. What? What are the differences between rehabilitation and recovery Yeah. House? So a, a a rehab a treatment centre is one of those places. You know, it's like the the is the most well-known ones. One of them. It's a facility you go in. The kind of rules are tough, and the groups and. You know, you've got to kind of take... Ours is more after that. Ours is more once people... So by the time they come to us, they're already drug and alcohol free and um, kind of engaging with life. And the three things we operate on is uh, art, sport and culture. So kind of saying to the people, well, look, you've you've got clean and sober. What for? What You know, what are you into? What do you want to do? So we'll put a little programme together And luckily, like, we've got a lot of lads in who are really creative and musicians, artists, poets, um, and we've got people who aren't but are interested in it because the other lads make it okay and acceptable to them and they've had some great times. They've put some good exhibitions on and I believe, like, this certainly for me, and I've seen it with others, creativity in the arts can fucking boost someone's personal recovery, give them some meaning and purpose, and just their mind open up and go, wow, I've never done anything like this. There's one lad in our place at the minute, and um, he came straight from jail. He's had, like, ten years on and off in jail, alcohol-related offences, and he's completely surrendered now. He's had enough of it. So he said to us, I'll just join in with whatever you say. He's ended up in this film... And you can just see the joy and the wonder on his face when he's sitting and talking about it. it's like this can't believe I mean Phil can't believe it <laughs> you know what I mean it's just it's amazing man I mean the physical stuff just all the stuff that if you are, because when you stop taking drugs and drinking, it doesn't just get better straight away because you've got a lot of those odd emotions so if you're suffering you know depression anxiety, we recognize those things. But you've got to give yourself fight and chance. You've got to get up, out of. You got to get your feet on the floor, and you got to get washed, and that's you all. Make the yeah, of course, man. Of course, that's a big thing for me. That, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was a big thing for me. Because I, I, I believe, like the, I don't think anyone's ever cured from, from, addiction or anything. I think it's like a process that you can you can manage it, you can disarm it, or whatever you want to say. But if you'd imagine it like a domino effect. Um, if I didn't make my bed this morning, there's a good chance that I won't wash my dish tonight. And then there's a good chance that I might go to bed late the next night. And then there's a good chance I might not change my socks. And then there's a good... You see where I'm going with it? There's a lot, yeah, lot of dominoes, but th- I just... I don't I, I don't want to give it a chance, so I make sure I do... The- I still have to force myself to do them. It's not like natural to me i am in, i am naturally lazy and bone idle i am like <laughs> but i have to force myself to be active and make things happen or or that's what waits me i've seen it man there's a woman on twitter yesterday she fucking, mm. and she was 30 years sober and she suddenly just said she just decided that oh, i haven't had a drink for 30 years i'll be all right now my life's in a good place i'll just have a and then she posted a picture of what happened and her face was all smashed up and she went oh. to the hospital and she's got no memory and all that. But she posted it as a warning. Like, if you've got this thing, it's no matter how long you stay off it, you've always got it. That, Jesus, that, that's fucking terrifying. I know, wasn't <laughs> it? Yeah. But yet I feel like that. Now I feel like 13 years sober doesn't mean... And and a lot of people fall for this one as well. They, they think my life was a mess then and I was drinking like m- madness. But my life's all right now. So maybe if I drink, I'll, I know someone who's currently doing that. But uh, if me and you went to the pub today, Craig, like, you you just want to get off. After five pints, you just think, what the fuck? I, I believe that. I don't believe that because I've had so long off drink. I'm suddenly a... A controlled drinker now. I just think yeah, you've got yeah. some
0: sort of get out of jail free card. Yeah, yeah. Because you've had X amount of years off, thirteen yeah. years, you have the yeah. right or something's been cured or the yeah, yeah. button's been switched or the rewiring's been sorted. Yeah yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't chance it, man. I wouldn't want to now. This this is the thing. People say sometimes um if we're at a, a an event or a function and they say, Do you want a drink? I say, Nah, I'm alright, mate. They might continue asking. And so sometimes I just say, Look, mate, I, I don't drink, I'm alright. And they go, Oh. They like feel sorry for me, do you know what I mean? I go, No, don't don't feel sorry for me. I, I can drink if I want. I just don't want to. I just don't want, just don't want yeah, to. Yeah. I'm making
0: yeah. I'm making the choice yeah. not to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. So when when did you Decide to? Did you open up the the recovery house? Was this was this sort of your baby, or not,
1: was this not this current one? So um, been involved in a few different um, services since I sobered up, and it's been a joy really to be part of all these different ones. But but this one now, the idea was because um, what a lot of people do is they come out of rehab and they go into these recovery houses, so they have the strict regime of rehab. And then mm. they have the kind of loose living pattern of the, the recovery house and it's a massive culture shock. So we're of in the middle. We're not a rehab, we're not a just leave you to fend for yourself. We're like, we've got a little mini programme here and if you want to take part in it, you can and we encourage you to still go to AA meetings and all that. So it's the little bit in the middle where we spotted a lot of people were falling by the wayside right. there, yeah. So while lockdown's on, we're, we're limited because 80% of what we do is outdoors. Canoeing, going to theatre, going to match, going to galleries. At, yeah. at the minute, they're on 23-hour bang-up, aren't they? So, but the fact that they're on a, in a community and they're working together and a lot of outside communities are helping us through donations and a few people gave a couple of guitars the other day and...
0: And I suppose there's there's a, a huge support network That's it, there me. because yeah. everybody's all together. because yeah. otherwise, I mean, it's times like this, you know, certainly over this past year, where people have just fallen by the wayside yeah. or they've just totally. turned the wrong corner. Have you noticed that, um, an influx in that from your position?
1: Yeah, I, I know. Like in a way, they're blessed because they all live together. They've got everything. They've got the program there. They've got lots of donations. It's Proven... Apart from the obvious, you can't have a normal life at the minute. They're, they're all doing OK. But there's people I know in recovery, friends and that who live alone or who, who've who got kids off school and they've got a, a family at home and it's chaotic and I, f- I feel for them, man. I feel yeah. for them. I have can get a little bit self-pitying sometimes and think, fucking hell, another night on my own. I, I live alone, me, but... Um, they're very rare those nights most of the time I'm 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 kind of grateful I've got no chaos and I'm grateful I've got a little outside bit I mean can you imagine being in a tower block man a single parent no garden three or four kids just no school and
0: I can't yeah however it, man. sometimes if we we have those moments and we all do yeah. this, we're all human beings yeah. especially now by having a little moan or a yeah. bit fucking this isn't going right yeah. today you just have to stop and go I'm actually pretty privileged in the
1: position yeah, that I'm in that's compared it, yeah.
0: to somebody else. Yeah.
1: I had it last, last week. I went to bed. And I couldn't sleep. And, it, and I pinpointed it. It was like, oh, because it's, it's exactly the same day again tomorrow. But I had this kind of underlying faith, just like, you'll be OK in the morning. You'll be all right once you get up and showered and dressed and realise you've got a job to go to and a nice home to come home to. And the choice of what you have to eat and all that, and what you what, you, and I was, I was all right. Mm. I didn't buy into it that. It's always,
0: it's always those moments whenever you wake up at like stupid o'clock, and it's that the, you know, it's pitch black, yeah. and you're, you're all you've got is your own thoughts, yeah. and that's when it's the worst. Yeah. But you know, when the you do get up and you make your bed and the sun's out, yeah. and even if it's a bit cold, everything is a bit, a
1: little yeah, bit better. Yeah, totally. Than, you can take some action, can't you, to make it better? Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely my my kind of whenever i've felt depressed i've been fortunate me that i've not suffered ever really from depression i've been depressed but i've not had depression which is like two different Mm. things in it so most of me feeling depressed was as a result of my own actions which meant that my own actions could get me out of it so I've, i've got no real experience of like personal anyway of like clinical depression but you know, haven't for people who are and feeling like you just can't get out of bed, you know, I, f- I feel for them, man, and I feel yeah. fortunate I've never had that. Yeah, man, that's... I mean,
0: that must be a huge weight yeah. Yeah. to carry around. That, you know, I, you know, read articles all the time about people who do say that it took, I couldn't get out of bed yeah, yeah. for days, yeah. days on end. Yeah. You know. That's when when people bandy it around, going, oh, "I'm just, a, I'm a bit, a bit depressed." Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: let's have a look know, at what, what real depression I'm telling is, you a man. Second. Yeah, that's what I think.
0: Yeah, use. Um, have you been using this time to write some
1: more stories? Yeah, I have. Um, Has it been quite a productive time for I you? I wouldn't say ma- massively, like, but every now and again, I pick pick my pad up. Like, I like to handwrite me. I don't. I only type when I need to send it somewhere, but. Yeah, I've got a lot of time to be self. I'll get home from work five o'clock. I don't go to bed till midnight, so there's seven hours every night. You know what I mean? Where mm. it should be? I'm watching a lot of stuff and listening to loads of records. But yeah, I'm, I'm writing now and again because that book, um, the pamphlet, which I've got here by the way, just to hand You know what I mean? There you go. Available from Rough Trade books. Yeah. Rough Trade
0: highly, highly recommended. Yeah. I'll, be giving, I'll, I'll do a nice big plug for you. Yeah. For <laughs> the, the, uh, the intro.
1: I just liked how it sold really, so I just thought, oh, "Fuck it, I'll do another one." And like Nina, the Great. publisher from Rough Trade, she went, "Do another one." Okay, sounds I will. So yeah, there'll, and then there'll be hopefully one. then
0: by the time you do another one, you can actually. Do a bit go out of actually in yeah. in person promotion? Yeah. And yeah. Read some stories in front of a crowd, which I know is what you love to do. Yeah,
1: yeah. My my aim is, um and I think it's on its way to happening. a weird twist of fate, like my new landlord is a theatre director who right. who bought the pamphlet and liked it, and was like, we should do something together. And he's contacted me this week and said, look, I've booked four days. We gotta find these actors, we got this play, and he's like, I want you to write it, write it with me. And I'm like, well, this is all brand new to me, but it's always something I've wanted to do. So Well, you know what I was thinking?
0: That um there would be some incredible short films. Yeah, man. Yeah.
1: I can see see the ones in my head. I can see them ones yeah, in me my too. head, yeah, when I was reading yeah. them and writing them. Yeah. So that might be a new new direction that this year takes. That's the thing, another thing about like being in recovery. You just don't fucking know where you're going to be in a year's time. Every year for 13 years, something really... My life's took on a different direction where I've gone, wow, that could never have been predicted, that. This is great. But I'll tell you what as well, it's always been preceded by something that I have a tendency to class as a disaster. Like, oh, fucking hell, this is shit. This, I've, That job, I'm get, I'm going to lose that job. Well, I've ended up with a better one. Yeah. And things, yeah, I always kind of... I need to start bearing that in mind for the next obstacle that comes and just think, well, you know, I've survived every other one. And something exactly. goods always come out of it. And the main one being that, like, the obvious one is my uncle passing away. You know, for a few years, I just thought, this is the fucking worst thing that can ever happen. I don't want to be here. But as a result of that, now, once we accepted that we couldn't bring him back, my mum went into the field of of drug and alcohol work because the perpetrator was an addict and his past was like he'd get fines or he'd get bans or he'd get points or he'd get a couple of weeks in jail or something and my mum just thought, if either got help, who knows? So she went into that game. like, And she's got all the qualifications and that, but she says to me, you and your dad were the biggest qualifications, living with you's two. Means I know every single trick in the book. Like yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. I've absolutely
0: loved this conversation. Yeah, yeah, man. Fucking brilliant, Jeez, man. Craig. Thanks so much. Thanks I'm glad we man. finally sorted no, it. Oh no, yeah, cheers, um, man. But uh, yeah, I'm going to let you go. Thanks a lot, so mate. I can't wait till we can get together and be in a room and you can yeah. terrify people we'll with some that. of your stories and make us laugh. Cheers, That'd man. Be great. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, Craig Cheers. You take care, brother. Cheers, you, soon, man. Ta-da. And another episode is done. And I can't thank Roy enough um, for coming on and being so honest and frank and candid in talking about his journey. I a big deal. Um, thanks so much for joining us. And look, on a more serious note, if you or anyone you know has been affected by any of the topics that we touched on in this episode, then just remember you're not alone. There are professionals out there who you can talk to. You can pick up the phone such as mind and the Samaritans. So make sure you do that and, and don't suffer in silence. Okay. Now moving on to next week's episode. Oh, sorry. You want, Oh, you want to know who it is? Well, I can't tell you that. What I can tell you is If you have seen the brilliant Russell T Davis drama, it's a sin on channel four, then I think you're going to want to come back next week for episode 144. That's all I'm going to say. No, you're not getting any more out of me. That's it. Look, thank you so much for downloading and subscribing. You know where to find us. We're on all the social media channels. If you want to drop us an email, we are twoshotpod at gmail.com. We do read all your emails. I promise, even though we don't respond most of the time. Um, but we do appreciate all the love that you send us. So thank you so much. Uh, so get subscribing, downloading, and do you know what? Go on, do us a favor this week, go and tell five friends that have never heard of the two shot podcast. They might like it until next week. I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff, and this has been, The Two Shot Podcast. Take care of yourself and get out in that sunshine, but not in large groups of people. Okay, bye. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers.